Welcome to Punchboard Paradise, coming to you from the heartland of America in Omaha, Nebraska, where we discuss the world of tabletop gaming, the topics that affect the board game community, and give honest and fair reviews of the industry's hottest games. In episode 83, we talk about some recent plays, we reach into the mailbag and answer a question, and finally review Hacks Viking. Hey, everybody, I'm Clef. Hey, I'm Chad. I'm Richie. Hey, you're back to your energetic. Hey, I'm Chad. <laughs> I am. <laughs> kind of, uh, I am. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I'm jealous of you two because now both of you, you just came back from vacation. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not relaxed yet. So maybe, maybe I'm like a little tense. Yeah, I had another mini vacation that I, honestly, I completely forgot about and I got lucky. I, the wife planned this with her family. I, oh, okay. Yeah. I just had to show up, but. I got lucky because I did not request the time off at all. But uh-huh. I had lucky, and we had a, just a wellness day at work, so I, I had the time off anyway. I'm telling wow, people, you, you are lucky. If you lucky. can work for PayPal, work for PayPal. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> guess, they give right? you more time off than <laughs> you <do>. work. <laughs> they do. Uh, I, my vacation was amazing. I, I took a trip down to Kansas City for like four days with the family, and literally had a blast. We we visited a uh, steamboat uh, museum. And we went to the World War One museum that's there in Kansas City. And uh, then we did the World's of Fun thing, which is a, like a Six Flag type of amusement park, mm-hmm. uh, which the kids were not a fan of. They did not like. Really? That was the worst part of the vacation. Really? My older ones didn't like the rides. And the only one who really wanted to ride the roller coasters was my youngest daughter. And we waited in line at the whatever ride. It was Spinning Dragon or something for like an hour and then the ride's over in like 45 seconds and my daughter's like it's not worth it so did they <laughs> did they just not think the rides were exciting enough or yeah, yeah. Did they just well not like no. roller coasters my older they were like they rolled one and they're like nope i'm done it's it's too much I, they couldn't handle it made them nauseous no, really? made it nauseous and they just like nope and i was I like because i was about to suggest cedar point make so, your way to sandusky ohio oh yeah, yeah that's serious coasterville yeah. there's yeah but no well, that would be worse yeah uh, <laughs> yeah uh the world's fun they have this one that's the patriot that i mean it's a high yeah one. i've been I mean, on patriot super high yeah. and i was excited to ride it but no no one would come ride it with me and really i'm not not about to be that single rider so you're not a single rider and, you know, they used to be when I used to go to World of Fun all the time when I was a kid because I grew up in Kansas City. But whenever you when they would have less people for a ride, they'd always be like, you know, we got a single rider and they'd put extra people in there. Yeah. They're not doing that. And I'm assuming COVID wise. Right. Yeah. You, yeah. You, there nobody is mixing whatsoever type yeah. of thing. Hmm. So uh, so that I'm assuming that took a little bit longer. I tell you, though, if I win again. I'd pay the extra money to get those fast passes. Have you ever been to one where they have those? Just jump well, to the front line. Well, we did that at Disney yeah. because, yeah. Yeah, you just, and I mean, I saw these people with fast passes. They'd just walk right up and they'd be right into right the thing. It, yeah. And I was like, I'm, you know, I'd be willing to do that. It was only, it's like 55 bucks or something. I mean, it's yeah, extra well, money. But, but if your kids aren't riding anyways, then yeah. it's a good thing you saved the money. Exactly. I'm glad I didn't <laughs> in the long run because probably Aubrey and I would have been the only two that actually would have done it. So You should be happy that they, that they didn't... Uh, do the, you know, hey, we got a single rider thing. Because can you imagine, I mean, you wouldn't know if it was in this day of COVID anyway, but like, can you imagine like, hey, sit next to this guy, we got a single rider. <laughs> <laughs> it's like crickets and nobody's over there, he's <laughs> wiping his nose. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants to be next to this guy. Uh, so last thing I'll talk about my vacation, you know, we'll move on. But um, 
we this World War One museum was amazing. I mean, it was uh, it's the only museum in America that is fully dedicated to World War One, which I didn't know, which I was thought was really cool. The museum itself was very cool, but it had an extra thing which was called the Tower, which is outside of the museum and it's up on a hill, which is really high already. But then this tower goes, I don't know, like 400 feet in the air or something like that. And so I got tickets for us all to go up in this thing. So you get in this little elevator and it's not very, you know, the, the actual tower is not very big. It's just, and we went straight up in this elevator all the way to the top and you get up there. And I thought to myself, when you got up there, you, like the area would be like glassed in or something would be there. Right. And I got up there and there's nothing, I mean, like the, the, the barrier or whatever, like comes up to my waist. So like, to me, I'm like, if you accidentally tripped, sayonara, bye, you're gone, <laughs> you know, type of thing. Yeah. And I'm not a big fan of heights. Okay. Like roller coasters don't bother me or airplanes, because if you like, for one thing in a roller coaster, you're strapped in, you're not going to trip and fall. Right. Right. Airplane, you trip and fall. You're going just down to the ground. not going to hurt you. But in this, I was like, if I accidentally trip, I'm falling. I'm, I'm like a little splat mark down there on the ground. <laughs> so I get up there and Mason was the same way. And me and him look at each other and we're like, we're out of here. And we went right back down. <laughs> so then my wife and my daughters all and my other son stayed up there. And we're like, no, we're out of here. <laughs> that, that is funny to me that like you don't mind heights of roller coasters, but not, I mean, no, not at all. Hey, yeah. Do you trip a lot? In. Yeah, you're strapped in. What's that? Do you trip a lot? <laughs> No, but I could. <laughs> good. All right. Oh, All right. I don't know. It was just, I mean, it was beautiful. I mean, you could see the, you know, Kansas City skyline forever. I mean, you could see everything. And when we're going up, the guy says, the uh, elevator operator, he's like, if you look to the, you know, blah, 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 you'll see this, you'll see this. And he's like, if you look, you can see the Kansas City Chiefs Stadium, like way off in the distance. Uh, it was a real nice guy. And then as we're coming back down, my wife says to him something about, oh, it was kind of, you know, a couple of us were kind of scared or whatever. He looks right at Mason and goes, you were freaked out, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> How does he know that? <laughs> oh, it was a great time. So. That's great. Uh, yeah. So, so good vacation. Nice great and relaxed. vacation. Yep. I uh, got to play quite a bit of games with the kids. So we, we did some good game playing. We made our characters for Magical Kitties. Oh, did you? Yeah. Is we, it Magical it, Kitties? It hasn't hit the table yet. It hasn't hit the table. Mason I'm still has to, make the, to hear about this. has to make the uh, scenario right. or whatever, but we've made our characters. I am... Scruffy El Magnifico is my cat's name. <laughs> so, so for those who who, who hadn't heard uh, in a prior episode, this is Magical Kitties, an RPG that Clef is is has really handpicked for his kids because he's so into RPGs and cats. <laughs> uh, well, this is one that your daughter really wanted to yes, play, right? Yes, my daughter loves, and that's kitties that's your and, whole goal this year. Yes, yeah, so I was them. playing more games with the girls. And uh, so she picked it out. So yeah, I'm excited. It was it was fun making the characters. We all had a good nice. time doing that. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I've talked way too long. What, somebody else say something. <laughs> <laughs> no, Chad. What have you been playing? Well, I got to play some games with uh, one of our listeners, uh, Bryce. And of course, Bryce always uh, has what what he calls obscure Bryce games. Right. So one of the games that we played recently was called. The Oster Incel, which actually uh, in German, I think means um, die Easter Island, die. 
I, well, I, that's what I think. I don't know if that's true. Um, okay. My German, my German translation comes from Ben Maddox, and he's pretty dodgy anyway. So I, <laughs> I, that's it, it. Seems like that's what it means. But anyway, it's a race game where you're one of four or five Easter Island heads. Okay, and you are racing across uh, this board and back again to try to finish. Okay, because uh, the first two finishers will have a chance to win the game. But anybody after that will not. Now, what you are doing on your turn is you have just to start with a handful of little river rocks. And on your turn, you're going to draft from these cards in the center of the table. And they have a variety of different rocks on each card. And you will take one of those cards. You know, it may have two rocks, may have five rocks, whatever. You'll take one of those cards and you'll do one of two things. You will either take the rocks that are on that card into your stash of, of rocks that you have, or you will take that many rocks from your stash that are shown on that card and drop them into a head that are that is on the board. Mm-hmm. Now, if you drop them into a head that is not yours, then you get to move that many spaces up. Okay? okay? Mm-hmm. And what you want to do is when you finish the game, you want to be the one with the most rocks. Okay. So it's not just finishing the game Mm, right it's having the most rocks in your head so there's that push and pull of like gosh i need to go really far maybe i'll drop these five rocks in clef's head Mm -hmm. but and then i'll move five spaces but now clef has a lot of rocks and and then i'll say richie did you just see that i dropped a lot in clef's head don't put any more in his head put Mm -hmm. some in mine (laughs) and you know yeah and so yeah it's it's just a fun little it's it was a 1994 uh spiel des recommendation and it's a fun crazy little game we played it twice so (laughs) when like so like if your head has gotten back to the finish line and i'm still out there and I'm the only head, do I still have to put rocks into your guys' heads after you've finished? Well, no, it ends as huh. soon as somebody crosses the finish line, and then first and second have the chance to win. Only first? Mm. Uh, so whoever's in the... Okay, so you still got to be far enough ahead, Yes, but you still got to have rocks. Right, exactly. Oh, I exactly. like the sound of this. Oh, this yeah, it's a fun, fun little... Cra- yeah. I mean, it takes like probably 10 minutes or less. Okay. And then we played it, like I said, we played it twice because it was just kind of... It was just breezy fun. Right. Leo... Colavini is one of the designers on this, and he's done a bunch of things like Think Straight and uh, Incognito and stuff like that. But yeah, it was it was just an obscure game. Never came out here in the states, but just a fun game. And I swear to you, these these were dusty bags of like little river rocks. It was just really <laughs> funny. And you're just dropping these things in this big. I mean, these these Easter Island heads are almost a foot tall. Oh on my the board. goodness! Did you get a picture of this? Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I posted some on our social media. It was a while back, but okay. I. Uh, I'll have yeah. to check it out. Take a look. Yeah. yeah. All right. That sounds interesting. Excellent. Yeah, well, and the other game, I have to say thank you, Clef. Uh, the other game that I got played was I borrowed your copy of Whistle Mountain to play. And uh, that was an interesting play. It's from Bezier Games, and mm-hmm. it's uh, Luke Laurie and Scott Caputo. Scott Caputo are the designers on this. And it's played, Whistle, Whistle Mountain is from the universe of... Whistle Stop, Whistle I believe Stop. it is, which mm-hmm. was just Scott Caputo. It's in that universe. There's not much uh, that it has in common, except that you kind of had this board where you're putting those cog upgrades on. But anyway, it's basically a tile laying and worker placement game, and you are um, you're basically going out every turn. You're building these things from the river up, and you have these meeples. Uh, these meeples are workers, 
and they can help sort of activate uh, these machines that you're building out on the board on top of on top of these girders. But the problem is you're on this river bridge over this mountain. And anytime you build a machine that goes over the river bridge, basically the water rises and it can take stuff out. It can drag your your other worker meeples down and it can uh, pull your machines so that they get waterlogged and you can't use them anymore because the machines you build are worker placement spots essentially, right? And you're going out to these spots and and uh, doing different combos essentially because if you put your, your uh, worker dirigibles, your blimps out in different spots, they can collect resources, they can use these machines. You also have worker placement spots out on the board where you can get upgrades that give you special abilities, you can get cards and, and that sort of thing. And basically what the game is, is it's just finding the cool combos that you can make. But whether placing them in intersections on boards where they trigger a few really good machines at once or whether that's using upgrades on your own player board to kind of trigger and and use uh in certain ways it was it was an interesting game i i liked the feeling of the combo um synergies of it but i also got the sense of even though there's a lot of variables to it i kind of felt like after a few plays it might get a little bit uh, it might get a little bit samey once you have sort of discovered some of the combos. Mm. What did you, what right. did you think you've had a play of it? Yeah. I, I kind of felt that way after one play that it was like, yeah, I kind of fit, you know, I, it's, you know, I've, I've had discussions with some people about how here recently for me playing a game, uh, like a game like this is like, I just kind of, once I play it, I go, okay, I get it. You know, I get the yeah. game. I understand strategy. I mean, not saying that I'm going to win it all the time, but, I just, I feel like I get it. What else is there? It, what else is there? Yeah. You know? And so here lately that I want a game where, okay, I got done with that game. I, I understood 50% of that game or something. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm looking more into it. So that's how I kind of felt after I played the one game of this, you know, like, okay, I got a good, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's a very solid game. I think it's well-designed. I think it's a, it's a good solitary type of Euro type of game. Um, that, that's kind of what my feelings were after I got done playing mm-hmm. And it's interesting. There is a little bit of interaction with the worker placement spots, but not a lot because mm-hmm. some some places have even multiple spots that you can go to, and there are some powers where you can bounce people out and use them. And so, how many, how many players did you play? I with? actually played with just two. Yeah, see, I just played it with two also. So I mean, it might have a little bit better interaction, maybe with a few with uh, multiple players. And there but, was no scaling. But I have yeah. to say though, I don't necessarily know if I want to play with a lot more though too, because it took plenty of time just to play with two. Yeah. Where you're because you, the end game trigger is having to get the water up to the level of the bridge so you really have to keep triggering those machines yeah. over the bridge over and over and it took us a while and again it was our first play so figuring how to speed up the game was was a little bit wonky right. too but it took us a while to trigger that yeah. and so i i kind of felt like i don't know if i want to play this with a lot more people even though there might be more interaction true, true. but yeah. i i will say what you what you bring up is an interesting element because you're talking about a, a lot of euros right and and you know how those aren't as interesting and i think um it for us it's a lot about discovery right and when you have player interaction that we talk about so often really part of the discovery comes from that player interaction and players doing different things in a different in a different uh play of the game so then you get that sort of ongoing discovery and so yeah Absolutely. I, i understand what you're talking about i will say one thing that i thought was really cool about this uh a lot of games do a thing where you, where you make the worker placement spots, you know, and and 
you're building those out to the board and you have a say in how that build goes and right. stuff. A lot of games do that. But one thing that I found was interesting is you, you could get like a kind of a crazy combo and you'd be like, well, if you place your airship there and you trigger this and this and this together every turn, that's almost like a totally crazy broken combo or something. But pretty soon the water covers it up and that's gone. Yeah. So that was kind of interesting how you, it would ebb and flow and, sure. and you'd find these crazy things and then they get covered up. Yeah. And that, I did like that. If your jam is is uh, tile building and you like worker placement, this might be your thing. It might be something to check out. Yeah. What about you, Richie? You of the surprise vacation? Yeah, I saw it was in Akron, Iowa. Well, oh. I I know where Akron, Iowa. You know where Akron, you, Iowa? Yeah, yeah. My dad used to work there. What there's, are you doing in Akron, <laughs> Iowa? Wow. There's not much there. Yeah. There's a Casey's, <laughs> and then there's this. Uh, <laughs> there's the Lazy H campground. Okay. So, uh, and I think that's just a man-made lake. Yeah. So I don't, it probably wasn't there last time you were there. No. <laughs> um, but it's just like two hours up the road, and uh, Jessica's family rented a few cabins on the lake, and we just hung out there. I really just went. Luckily, my my brother-in-law is he's deep in board games now. Yeah. So I went to play board games. Nice. And we got in a play of an older title, Chinatown. Oh yeah. And uh, and Chinatown is just a it's a pure negotiation game. And you won, didn't you? I did win. Yep. I did (laughs) win. And (laughs) barely though, Jessica's real close. Okay. Uh, But the game's played over six rounds, and if the map of it's basically like a little map of Chinatown, and it's all sectioned off uh, into these little number uh, squares. Uh, but like if you think of like Lords of Vegas, mm-hmm. like it's almost like kind of that same setup on the board. Yeah, it looks a lot like that. Yeah. And, and so at the beginning of a, a round, you're going to draw and it depends on the number of players and what round you're in. But you're going to draw a number of building tiles and then you're going to put and mark those with your little token. So just like Lords of Vegas, as far as when you get those properties. And then you're going to draw. Uh, I can't remember how many. Like I said, it depends on the round and number of players. But you're going to draw a number of the restaurant and different building tiles laundry and different yeah yeah. a bunch of stuff like that and then you just start negotiating so it is pure negotiation uh which i love i love like even like in versailles when i can look at chad and i can yell at him no that is the deal so (laughs) you can either take it or leave it like that i love that type of gameplay so it's definitely i'll say right up front is definitely group dependent because i can see this running like falling flat hard if you don't have people that are Comfortable with each other to yell at each other and try to make these gigantic deals. Also, I mean, it's pretty math based where you really have to know what something is worth to another player and to you, too, I think. Uh, But also at the same time, like I wouldn't want to play with someone uh, like I know Clef knows people that like they can really math out a game and sit there and figure out the math completely. That wouldn't be fun. Yeah. (laughs) Like at all. Uh, I want someone who's just willing to negotiate, fly off the hip but still have a somewhat understanding of what they're trading away. Cause obviously you could throw the game as well. Okay. Um, if you just give someone uh, a bunch of shops, but what you're trying to do is you're trying to get these different shops, depending on uh, the different ones that you have. Some of them will like the fish market, I think was four uh, spaces. The, uh, the jewelry was like six spaces, stuff like that, but you're trying to get them a complete set orthogonally adjacent to each other. And at the end of the round, you're going to get income based on your incomplete uh, buildings that you have and your complete buildings. So the incomplete buildings, I think the max you can get is like forty or fifty thousand. But like if you have a completed six set, it's like a hundred and fifty thousand that you're getting for income and stuff like that. Wow. So you really have to be you know careful as far as what you're trading away. You got to know the values. Uh, but yeah, if and then that's it. You get your income at the end of the round. 
Uh, negotiation stops when everyone is just done negotiating, and mm. you go to the next round, rinse and repeat. Uh, but like I said, it, it's definitely going to be group dependent. I mean, we know, I mean, this is with Jessica's family, so we all know each other very well, uh, have no problem yelling at each other. So <laughs> it, yeah, if you don't have that, I don't know if I could recommend this game to you, or if you just don't like negotiation, period, Right. then stay away from this. But right. uh, if you like negotiation and you like yelling Ooh. at your friends, this is a good one. I like negotiation and I like yelling at my friends. Yeah, and it's fast. Mm. So, right. I mean, it could be very fast. So. Okay. I'll have to check that out. All it's, right. it's a classic one, mm. for sure. Yeah. And then, uh, so my brother-in-law also taught me that drunken dwarf kidnapping game that you played. <laughs> <laughs> you mean Nidavalier. the game that's like Raw? Yeah. The, oh, the game, the game that's like, like, like Raw. Yeah, just With like Raw. With the expansion. Oh, thing of Valir. Oh, boy. Boy, well, that must have taken a long extra time to figure out that expansion. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> um, so when he described the bidding tokens... I said, oh, you know what? This kind of sounds like Raw. Or actually, when he just showed me the bidding tokens, I was like, that's kind of like Raw. But then when he actually described the bidding tokens, that's where it falls apart, Chad. I don't know if I can give you that it's like Raw. That's it's really where it falls like apart. Raw. It felt more like like Fantasy Realms mixed with like Gonchon Clever's like bonus system. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. you're just drafting cards, and then as you trigger your bonuses, you're getting a bunch of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then that's really... No, there, there's no, there's not the tension like in Raw. That, well, that's uh, that's what makes Raw. Right. So Whether good. it does it well or not uh, is is it, irrelevant. But it's not. It's it's nothing no. like Raw. And then yeah. so the the thing of Valir adds mercenary, like this mercenary deck, this whole other market that you can pull from. So if you're the one that wins the tavern, you have the option to go up there and take a card from there. So they have artifacts that will either give you some type of power or some type of in game. A bonus to whatever set for to, for different sets, or there are these mercenaries that you can pull out, and that becomes one of the bonuses that you can win at the end of a round. Is a mercenary bonus? To be honest with you, I don't remember what you get for it, but it it was good. <laughs> and then, um, and then the mercenaries have different. They have usually two different uh, of the guilds or whatever you call them, uh, the the different colors on them, and so you can assign them at the end of the round. And if you are the one who has a tiebreaker, you get to decide who lays theirs down first. So you get a little peek as Ooh. far as where they're going to put them at, and then you can put yours Ooh. where you want to. A little bit added there. So yeah, that was it. I, I Honestly, it was fine. It wasn't as terrible as Clef said, but it wasn't great. Well, right. if it wasn't described right. to me as this is like Raw, I might have liked it better. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Let but, me ask you this question. No. Would you consider this a gateway game for most people, for gamers? No, just because the, it's it's the only reason it's not gateway. I don't know who this game is for. Exactly. The only reason it's That's not gateway is the scoring is yes. ridiculous. Exactly. There is an app for it. We tried to use the app. The app didn't work for us. For some reason, one card was blanked out and would not let us add it. But yeah, you it, the scoring is just way too, too much. Too Byzantine for somebody just coming yeah. into the hobby. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I, wouldn't, I mean, gameplay wise, yes, I would say it's gateway wise, but okay. the, like the, the complexity you, of the scoring is anybody, ridiculous. All right. The actions all right. themselves, yes, but it just has no meaning right. if you can't figure out the People scoring. People are so. sick of us talking about drunken dwarfs. So <laughs> <laughs> well, what would you play, Clef? <laughs> uh, well, I was watching a uh, heavy cardboard review the other day, and they were wa uh, playing a game called Genotype. Uh, I don't know if you, I guess this is like a four or five year old game. It's, it's not recent here and it looked like a pretty cool game on stream. And I was, I was kind of watching it. It looked interesting and I found it on Amazon for like 35 bucks or something. So I was like, you know, it's, that's basically like a free game for that amount. So I went ahead and grabbed it and, uh, 
somehow on a Friday night, I put it on the table and had it all set up. And somehow miraculously, my friends, Dan and Brent showed up who will not play Euro games to save their lives hardly anymore. <laughs> and for some reason, I got them both to play it. I don't even know how it was just, it was a miraculous thing. I'm shocked. Uh, yes. I, I was in shock too. And uh, so uh, this game is basically, you are a monk at a monastery. This, uh, I can't remember what the guy's name is. Uh, Mendel? Mendel, yeah. Who was basically trying to find out the dominant and recessive genes of different plants and flowers and different things like right. that. So what you're doing is you are a start off each round with an action round where you're placing out your workers and it's a normal worker placement at that point where you're going and you can like get some money or you can go get some more flower cards for your board or you can do an action where you on your board where you can harvest uh, your done flowers or put new ones out type of thing. Um, so you kind of just have some actions that you take. And then after that, you have a dice drafting. So you roll all these dice and they have a bunch of numbers on them. And then depending on what the formula is, they will either be a... Uh, like a fully dominant. So it would be like double dominant or it might be a dominant and a recessive or it might be recessive, recessive. And those are going to be what you're using on your cards to kind of then fulfill recipes. So then it's just kind of fulfill these recipes. So you're drafting these. Then at the after that, then you have an upgrade round where everybody has, there's a little sliding scale for the, for money for these different things. So like if I wanted to get an extra worker, it might be on the $3 spot for me, but then as soon as I do it, it moves up to the $4 spot. So the next person who gets to do an action, it's going to cost more money if they want to do that particular one. And there's ones like get extra plots so you can have extra flowers. There's ones where you can get extra, um, or like these, these people that will help you out, like kind of like specialists or something, kind of like a viticulture type of thing so that they do special things for you. Um, it was a decent Euro game, actually. I mean, it was, it, I wouldn't, you know, I don't say it's going to blow your socks off. It was, it was a pretty, it was basic, but it was fun. It was interactive because you're certainly, you have areas where you can try to uh, draft these dice first. Um, there's certainly a lot of interaction in that upgrade thing because you really want to go first if you can in that because then you're going to get uh, the cheaper of whatever you want. Um, like I got completely shut off of ever getting like an extra worker because it was always too much money for me. Hmm. So I never got an extra worker the entire game, which just killed me, you know, because then I'm not taking as many actions as people. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, it was it was an interesting, decent game. So is it coming back into print? Is that why it was on? I don't know, to tell you the truth. Okay. Like I said, it was just on Amazon when I know stream and. You know, Edward said, you know, said it looked good and sounded okay. good. So I was like, oh, give it a shot, you know. Um, of course, since then, I have put myself on a no buying games moratorium. Chad's doing enough for both of us. I, really. Nope, I am doing it. I'm not going to buy another game until the end of August. So why? Because he's just been buying stupid yeah, games? Just, yeah, I don't know. So I'm just, I'm, yeah, I don't know. Not buying anymore. You games. have been buying a lot of And I have no, not been questionable buying. Games. I have no. not been buying that much. The, the only thing. Every time I mention a game, Chad has bought it. Yeah. Just about. The only thing I'm allowed to do he's is, the, is P500 things. That's the only thing I'm allowed to do. No, that's that's still buying that doesn't game. count. That doesn't even count. That don't count. Who knows when it's going to get charged? It yeah. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't count, right? It's like playing roulette. <laughs> uh, and then I'm going to pull a chat here. I'm going to talk about two games. We all okay, did that, actually, by the way. I had oh, a question. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, you have a question on genotype. 
No. Okay. Um, <laughs> just have a question. <laughs> did you play the Reiner Knizia Master game while you were on we vacation? Did. Yes, we did. Okay. Was that what you were about to talk about? Sure. Why not? Okay. <laughs> I just want to know if it's any good. What game uh, is this? Oh, uh, the Matchstick. Stickman. Yeah. Stickman. Stickman. Yeah. Stickman. Yeah. Stick right. uh, yeah. I've actually gotten to play it a couple of times. Um, it's it's decent. It, this is by Reiner Knizia, and my wife found it at a like a like a secondhand department store type of hmm. thing, like on a weird, like just a, like a, wasn't even like a game shelf, just like right. it had some games there. Uh, yeah, she, she found these games and one was called Stickman or something. I haven't played that one yet, but the other one was Zen Master. And at first I was looking at it and didn't really think of it. And then somebody was over and they looked at it and they're like, hey, this is a Reiner Canizia game. I was like, wow, I didn't realize that. It's a trick-taking game. And what happens is, is if you've got a deck of cards that are numbered one through 50, and then you have, a bunch of cards that have uh, what are significant to white matches and black matches. I don't know why they call them matches in the game, but they do. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing is wh whoever plays and everybody plays a card from their hand face up, you, you're dealt like nine cards. You play a card face up. Whoever ends up with the highest number will take however many black matches there are on the card. So let's say it's seven black matches and three white ones. Whoever has the highest will take that number of black ones. And then whoever has the lowest number will take that many of white matches. There's no rules in the game of which card you can play any card you want to. So there's no okay. leading or anything like that. So obviously if you're in the middle, you don't take any matches. Well, every time you get a set, so every, so if you get a white and a black one, you get to put them back in the middle. The object is to end the game with as fewest matches as possible. Gotcha. So you'll play three rounds. So at the end of each round, you're going to say, okay, how many matches did you have? So you had five, you had three, you had four, you had zero, whatever the case is. So then you play another round and they do the same thing. And at the end of the third round, whoever ended up with the least amount of matches over three rounds is the winner. I mean, there was decent amount of strategy to it. Yeah. It was interesting to play. Uh, the kids really liked it. So cool. yeah. So another, another trick ticking game. Yeah, it was, it was an I might pick it up. Just I love that box. Yeah, it's it's, it's really nice. It's really nice it? minimalist for, design, and it looks yeah. like a matchbox. It's cool. Yeah, a game or like a random game that your wife found. So. Yeah, uh, for a random game, and it happened just the weirdest thing, just being a Canizia game. Just yeah, like, yeah. not that, that you'd expect. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's Zen Master, and I don't even know. Let me see if there's a, yeah. Um, hell, Hell uh, here, Chen. <laughs> Helvetique, Helvetique, Helvetique. I don't yeah. games. Yeah. Never even heard of them. I don't know. Interesting. Well, they're from Switzerland, so that's yeah. cool. Very yeah. cool. Well, I, now I have a question because yeah. you were going to talk about Everdell with all the with with all the expansions. Is that it? And I wanted I want to hear what you thought because I know you didn't. You were very underwhelmed by the other Everdell uh, the regular one. Was this with all of them? By this the way? was with all. Yeah, it was with the uh, Pearl Brook, the Spillcrest, and the Belfair. Spirecrest. Bel yep. Spirecrest yep. and the Belfair. Yep. Uh, so, um, yeah. So I mean, it added how many players. Uh, four. Okay, four, four, four players. Turns. Um, and so there was the 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 frog one. I don't know which. That's the Pearl Brook one. Okay, yep. so you had your, your frog there. Then there was one where you had these. Uh, you got these special cards that you could purchase, and then there was also events that made stuff harder as you went along. Yeah, Spirecrest. Okay, and then the top one is these monuments that you could then get, as opposed to the old. Uh, ways to score points or something. Yeah, that's points. the bell. Okay, bell fair. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, so it added all those. Now I'll be honest. The first time I played Everdell was 
probably three years ago or something like that. And all I remember was how stupid the tree was, obviously, because it was just <laughs> in my way. So I told uh, our friend Jeff is one who he, he loves this game. And so he wanted to teach us and we all agreed to play it. And I said, as long as we don't play with that tree, I'll uh, be fine. The, Bell, the Belfair <laughs> expansion it makes it so that you can play without the tree. Yes. Yeah. Adds a little spot. That there was a thing there. there yeah. So yep. you didn't even have any. Yeah. So I was like, okay. So right away, that was better. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a fine game. It's a very, you know, it's a, uh, you know, you're trying to collect cards and then basically you're trying to get those cards to combo with the cards that you have to start ramping up your engine. I said during the game, I said, you know what this feels like to me is terraforming Mars. Oh, Oh, that's not oh. what I would have picked. I would have picked Imperial Settlers because it feels like you're trying uh, to eke you out your what? turns on that. I think Brent said that it sounded it was like Imperial Settlers, yeah, but I said, I said, I think it feels like Terraforming Mars because you're just once again you're, you know, you're not necessarily drafting the cards, but you're picking them out of there, and then you know you're getting different cards, but then you're just starting to put down your kind of your own engine, and you're trying to run that engine, mm-hmm. kind of like a little bit like you are in Terraforming it Mars. It is definitely so, an engine builder. Um, yeah. So. Um, once again, it felt very solitarish to me where you're kind of, yeah, you're your head, doing your thing. Yeah, your head is in your game. I don't know what anybody else really is did doing. Did you get one of much. the big animals with the saddle? So, I did. I did. Uh, God, I don't remember which animal I got. It was the fox. The, the fox? Uh, I got the fox. It's kind yeah. of small. It, got, it, was, yeah. uh, it was like the El Grande workers, <laughs> uh, like in viticulture. Yeah. You could go anywhere you wanted to right. type of thing. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I would say, though, I, I do think it was smart making it worker placement because there are times where you want to use a spot and somebody takes it and you have to figure out how to zig and zag. But there's not there's not a ton. But I, I would say, you know, that is one a- a- option that makes it a little bit better. And yeah. and. And there are a couple of cards that you can put into other people's tableau and kind of mess with, but yeah, but yeah for the so most that part, the fool or something, yeah. or you could put it. But you know, yeah. I, I don't know if it was worth it ever to. Yeah. You know, you you're you better really off trying to. to get your engine running type and of thing. It's so. pretty. I mean, there are cards that allow you to get cards out of your little yeah. area as well. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I did terrible. I came in last place, so. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it. It was enjoyable. I can see why people. It's it's such a hot game. I right. see why people yeah. like it. Um, I and, like it better than terraforming Mars. So oh, I like <laughs> it better sure. than terraforming Mars by far. I still like, now. I don't by know. Far far. It, it it can go long at four. Yeah, I would. Think I, so. I, I almost remember. prefer it at two. But if it yep. if it didn't sneak up on you, then it didn't seem like it took terribly long. But mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. It didn't feel like it overstood. It took its took its welcome. So. That's why I. It reminds me of Imperial Settlers because again, it does feel good at two, and you and it's a lot of micro turns. Like I do yeah. this, and then you do this, and you, and you're just mm-hmm. running out those micro turns now, until you absolutely can't do anything with your engine anymore. Right. Sort of thing. Now thematically here my question is is how have i moved into spring and somebody else is still in winter how how does Chad? that work thematically that's <laughs> uh, <laughs> ready with an answer i would say depending on the animal you could make a case for them just hibernating, hibernating a little longer, longer you know <laughs> All right, i'll give it to you Chad. <laughs> bad rice is what i said bad rice <laughs> Oh, boy. All right. Let's move on. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to a topic I really like to talk about, our Patreon. Oh, yeah. I really uh, appreciate each and every member of the Punch Bunch, but especially uh, patrons. And we have a newest member. We have Guillaume Bisset. Uh, so thank you to Guillaume. Uh, we really appreciate your contribution. We also have uh, one more, Ryan Brockman, too. So thank you 
to both of you for your patronage. And uh, we appreciate each and every one of our listeners, whether you can contribute or not, because we know these are Mm -hmm. crazy times. Uh, You know, just uh, retweeting, pumping out, telling a friend, um, you know, all those things help us. Reviews are great, too. Those really help us. And uh, it's been fun, too, to get some of these emails. People are really enjoying the uh, Age of Steam podcast. I have still have yet to listen to one. Oh, good. You probably don't want to. We've been been talking about you. Uh, I'm sure I haven't. I haven't listened. So Uh, Brockman signed up just so he could listen for that. There you go. Uh, But yeah, we we really appreciate you nonetheless. And uh, thanks so much, Guillaume and Ryan. All right. We ready for a question? Yeah. Richie, look in that mailbag. Fellas, let's dig around in this mailbag here. I see some All right. old, defunct ATB gear, and oh, I see oh, some... Oh, oh, my God! What is in that mailbag? <laughs> Guys, it is stinky in that bag. What is going on? Hey, everybody, this is Dan. Hey, Dan. Hey, Dan. God, you, what, what were you doing carrying yeah. him around in a bag? I, I didn't even notice he was in there. <laughs> it was nice. There was a lot of room, actually. Very spacious. That's good. I hear um, you got a question, Dan. Well, I was sitting in the bag and just <laughs> thinking to myself, um, have you guys ever heard of the expansion curse? Ooh, no, I, I have no. not. Can you explain? So this is something that I've heard from some of my board game friends, and they said that if you buy an expansion for a board game that you own, it causes you to play that game less or hardly even at all. And this has actually happened to me. I don't know you guys. Have you, are you familiar with the game Wendake? Yeah. Yeah. So I really liked that game. I liked some of the mechanisms. It was really intriguing. I heard that there was an expansion. I sought it out. I ordered it online overseas. It was a big deal. I got it. I put it all in the bag, all the box in the game, and uh, haven't played the game since. So I don't know if the curse is real. It's affected me. I'm scared of buying more expansions. I don't know. What do you guys think? Is this real or not? Thank you for your question. Yes. Now back in the bag. <laughs> wow, he fits so well back in the bag. He does, actually. <laughs> we, we need more questions, obviously, because there's a lot of room in that bag. Uh, wow, it's an interesting question. Good though. question. I had never heard of that, but you know, I'll, I'll give you a couple of instances. Now, obviously, we have done a draft about you know essential expansions, I believe, and and that you know that's definitely a thing, but. Uh, Okay, so I'll give you a couple. I Caverna, I got that expansion. I I haven't played the game since then, uh, and it's not because I wasn't interested in the expansion, but I just I don't know. I, I I haven't played it. I wonder if that one though is more. You don't you don't really like Caverna all that much though. That's true. But so why did to, I get that expansion? I don't. I, that's what I'm saying. You're buying a lot of stuff. <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> um, I could. There are definitely games that go against this. For me, like Age of Steam, obviously, we've bought all those maps and it yeah. has caused us to play more. Yeah. I mean, plus, we got the, That's the a podcast. Little, yeah, a little different. But. Root, the expansions have been fantastic and have caused me to play more. Mm-hmm. I did get rid of the Heaven and Ale expansion. Yeah, but that didn't stop me from playing didn't Heaven stop me and from playing. Ale. Um, I mean, Lorenzo obviously made me play more. Yeah. There <sighs> are definitely expansions that just add so much bloat to the game that it's hard for me to even think about getting it out sure um i know like arcadia quest i, I see this more with kickstarters than anything else right yeah. like when i back a kickstarter and they just pump it full of kickstarter exclusives all and all mm-hmm. stuff like that and when i open the box and i punch everything and i put it back in 
like Massive Darkness was that way. I mean, it's a lot of CMON games where they just give you a ton of stuff. Sure. Where it's just there's too much in the box now, and to get it out and just play it, the base game is a chore. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, for me, it's more Kickstarter. I, you stuff. know, and I think probably what you're hitting, what you're saying is sometimes the expansion makes it more work to get it out and play yeah. it than it used to. Heaven and Ale certainly was that case. It was more work to play the game. Mm. Um, like Seven Wonders Duel. I've, I play that a lot less now that those expansions are out than I used to when it was just a base game. And part of it's like, I got to almost go and reread the rules every time to the expansions because yeah. I don't remember them always. So, I mean, I, I think that's certainly, so maybe that's kind of what the curse is that Dan's talking about is not only do you have to remember how to play the base game, but now you always have to go and remember how to play the expansion also. Yeah, yeah that's a, so that's that very true. Can thing. make you not want to play Keyflower. Games, yeah. I know Keyflower is one just because I have everything in the, in the box and I got to insert so I can put everything in there. But now, like, so I have some tiles that are for the farmers, some that are for the merchants. So I have to either just take those out at the beginning of the game or right. reread, like I said, reread all the rules for both right. of those expansions right. and then teach all of that, which yeah. I usually don't want to do. So it just sits on the shelf. Yeah. Uh, one good example for me, um, I still sometimes played the game, which was Deus, but I never was playing the expansion because I was like, God, I don't remember how to play the expansion until you guys really, all, the last week, whenever we played it last, forced me to say, hey, let's reread the rules and play mm -hmm. it again. Right. So, I mean, that's certainly, yeah, I can I see I was that. just thinking of that when you said that. And and Concordia, since I got that group play uh, uh, expansion, I haven't played it since I haven't then. Touched oh, it since yeah. 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 Concordia won't be in your house long. <laughs> so, are well, you threatening right. me again? <laughs> I, I'm hey, not threatening you. I'm, I'm making a statement. Yeah, I'm making a statement. <laughs> I just want Concordia. You won that draft. Home, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you, Dan, for that yeah. question. I think that's worth yeah. thinking about. Uh, we can even throw this up on the guild. Uh, what are some games that you have gotten the expansion to, and then fallen prey to the curse of the expansion? Yeah. Man, oh, so we'll just keep him in there anytime yeah, you need yeah. a question. That's a good idea. Out for I like it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Throw a couple slices of hamburger pizza in there. He'll be happy. He'll be yeah, fine. That's true. Yeah. That'll work. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be good hamburger pizza. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to our feature review for this episode. We are here to talk about Pax Viking. Hey, Punch Bunch. Are you tired of having all your resources and chits all over the table? Well, do I have a solution for you? Magnetic hex trays from 3D Bitspace. They will keep your table organized and be a huge space saver. So head on over to 3D Bitspace at Etsy.com and order yours today. And if you mention Punchboard Paradise, you're going to get a free hex tray. Pax Viking by Jan Manker and Ion Games is a one to six player game that plays in about 20 minutes per player, and the art is by Madeline Fial. When I talk about the rules here, I'm going to talk about the standard version, although there's like a novice version and a ridiculously hard version and all that kind of stuff. But in this game, players are playing a Jarl leader of a powerful Norse family during the 10th century. These leaders will be encouraged to follow several different strategies to win by becoming the most powerful family. Strategies such as diplomacy using alliances, trade for monetary influence, and adventure using the axe and pillaging are all part of the game. The game is played over an indeterminate number of rounds as players seek to fulfill one or more of the four, of four randomized win conditions set out on the board. 
Before we get into uh, the turn structure, I just want to talk really quickly about what the game looks like. You have a map out on the board that is uh, basically of Europe, and it is divided into the four cardinal directions, but in this game they are called winds. So you have uh, the north wind, the east wind, the south wind, and so on. Uh, then everybody is going to have their own player board up at the top. There will be four different kinds of followers and then a variety of Jarl ships. And then you have spots on your player board for actions where you can put your action tokens to be spent as well as sections for your cards that will be used for advocates or gods. In a turn, each player is going to take their turn in a clockwise fashion, completing all three phases of their turn at once. First is the influence phase, where you check to see if you have the most of any established followers of the four factions, uh, of which type there are Jarldom, Sweden, Theocracy, or Rus. And if they do, they get con to control a special influence marker that allows a special version of the standard action, depending on which faction they may possess the majority in. Then is the action phase next, and players are allowed to use up to four influence markers to take standard actions, and this includes also the special action from the follower majority that I just mentioned. They take any of these actions as many times as they like, up to four. So here are the actions that you can take on your turn. Number one, you can invest, which is basically uh, taking a card from the card row market. Uh, these are in varying spaces that cost uh, a varying amount, depending on how far up the board they are. You can either buy at the cost with silver, or you can draw blindly from the top deck and into your hand. The second action is journey. You're going to move uh, your long ship up to three steps and then exhaust it. And at any point in that movement, you can trade with a rival whose space you share. Trade includes using saga cards back and forth, silver, ships, or you can even trade with non-binding future promises. Each ship can only journey once a turn, though. Uh, the next action is play a saga card from your hand. So you're going to put a venture card on an empty post on the map if your ship is there, and then you will place the required follower from your board. Or you can put an advocate card, of which you have two spaces on your player board, out on your player board and get the ongoing ability and put a follower out on it. Or you can do the same thing with a god card and put your follower on it. Lastly, you can play an event from your hand by resolving its effect and then perform a victory check to see if any player has met any of the four conditions. And this is sort of the way the game is won. So obviously you don't want to play an event yourself unless you're pretty sure that you have met the victory conditions. Some examples of these victory conditions are such. Number one, establish all of one follower type and one of each of the other three. Number two, you could have follower and longship on six posts with no rival ships. Uh, and number three, you could have six followers in a trade post and or powerful ally posts across at least three of the wins or the cardinal directions on the map. One of the other actions you can do is activate. So in that way, you would use a venture that you already have an unexhausted longship in and a follower in, and you would perform that venture ability. And lastly, the last action is parlay, where you would establish an empty post that you are in on the map, or if you're not alone, you would challenge. And that is done by basically pieces in an area. So if I happen to have more longships than Richie and I uh, parlay, I challenge him and I get to take over 
the post. If not, then I have to empty the post of my ships. Then finally, the last phase of a turn involves Winter Solstice, where you get a coin from up to four of every different follower type that you've established. You will discard down to your hand size and refresh the card market, and the game follows thusly, until someone has played an event card and meets the victory conditions we discussed. Uh, Sorry for that lengthy description, but I think uh, that gives you an idea of what PAX Viking is like. Gentlemen, should we... Should we talk about the art and components of Pax Viking? My only issue is that text is a lot of text in this game, and it is all tiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we'll just jump right into criticisms of it because, I mean, the components are fine. I mean, the round cards are a little bit different, obviously. Yeah, for yeah, but, but, I mean, if you're not yeah. sleeving cards, then I don't see why you have an issue not, with it. Not an issue. They whatsoever. look fine. A so, lot of people, um, by the way, lost their minds on the round cards, yeah. though, because they wanted to sleeve them. So, so. Well, um, but the, the problem, and I, I've obviously played the game multiple times now, and if you're on one end of the board that is not where the card row is, I mean, unless you know these cards by heart, you can't read any of that stuff. No. And yeah, then, either you're getting up or you just ignore it yeah (laughs) and then the victory conditions man i wish there was something like a handout or something that you could be looking at that had which ones they were so you could be because especially when you don't know the game very well you're kind of concentrating on what you're trying to win with but you know i don't know what richie's doing on the other Mm -hmm. side of the table and be helpful as opposed to continually standing up or picking the cards up and looking at them you know over and over uh that's and i mean i understand that's that's an issue for a lot of games. I mean, you know, if you got a big board and, and that board is huge, I mean, it is yes, a big it's board. Gigantic. It's, and if you have some sort of a card row, it's, it's going to be tougher to read, but it still is. It's tough. I mean, that it makes the game tough to play in, in that yeah. situation. Yeah. I can't disagree with that. Unfortunately, there's just a lot that you need to be able to read. And I'm not even sure you know, how this compares with other PAX games. There, it's it's the reason, I, I think it's because there's such a big board here that does this, because a lot of the other PAX mm-hmm. games have, if they have a board that's necessary anyway, uh, they have a much smaller board. Yeah, yeah like, much smaller uh, footprint. Like PAX Premier, I mean, the board is not very no, big, yeah, and so huge. the card row is right there. Yep. And quite honestly, the card row is much, lo- the symbols and stuff are really what you're, you're just looking for. looking for icons. And so it's much easier other ones like say Pax Beforeana or Pax Ren, those are all right in the middle of the of the board in front of everybody. Here's what I will say: uh, the rule book, it, while not perfect, is oh my gosh, it's so much better than some of the other Pax games. Uh, now I'm not talking about Pax Premier. That's, That's a different. Much, though. I know, but holy <laughs> cow, those small, small, uh, you know, Pax transhumanity ones where the the yeah. pictures emancipation are so, you can't like even that, yeah. see what the picture is illustrating because it's so small most nah, of the time i was i was missing phil's little uh things you know oh, at the bottom God, I'm talking about. Stop. <laughs> um here's my problem though okay the rule book might have been and it was nicely done and it's very well laid out there's not enough detail like we had so many fringe cases where we're like mm. okay well what about this or what about this and no, there's no, it doesn't even go over each person's player power in the book, you know, to say, hey, by the way, this is what this means or anything. 
None of that's in there. I think that, oh, so it, it, we should give a specific instance, I think, because that's fair. Uh, there are a lot of times where you can control ally ships and do different things with them. And sometimes victory conditions or different cards come out and they say, have this or this. And they don't say whether it has to be your color or can be an ally ship. Now, if you go to the BGG fac, I think some of this has been, you know, ha, has Addressed been answered. But I agree. I agree. Sure, That's why sure. I'm saying, yes, but, it, it, to it's me, an issue. If you have a, you know, and this is, I mean, it may be the lightest of the PAX games, but it's still a PAX game. It's still a heavy game. You got to have a glossary of just different things and, you know, have some stuff Definitely. in there on, you know, you've, you've play tested it, right? You've had to have these questions come up before. I mean, mm -hmm. there's no way somebody didn't have a question on the allied ships or a question, like even the winning conditions, there's not a thing in the book that says exactly like, Hey, this is what we mean by winning this. You know, you pretty much have to figure it out and interpret it yourself. Most of them are very simple and it's not like it's hard to interpret them, mm -hmm. but a couple of them, it's just like, okay, exactly. What does this mean for sure? Nothing in there. You need that in this deep of a game. Yeah, I would agree. And especially since this is being advertised as the gateway PAX game, uh -huh. I think all that should have been worked out ahead of time. If you're used to a PAX game, honestly, I don't, I don't even look at PAX rule books. I just go straight to BGG. I go to the file section. I find someone who's rewritten it uh -huh. or the FAQ. But if this is your first gateway into PAX, then, I mean, that's going to be a headache. Yeah. I, I, don't get me wrong. I mean, I just recently read the the rule book for Neanderthal, you know, which is by Phil Elklin and whoa, forget about it. I mean, that rule book is, you know, yes, terrible. Okay. Right. So it's, it's laid out really well and easy to understand. I don't want to make it sound like the rule book is not done very well. I just wish they would have put in some more information so that some of those fringe cases at least some of those things were in there. I'm not saying you're going to have like everything. A, like a card index, maybe, something or a card like that. appendix just, Yeah, sort of just thing. A, mm. to kind of give you some yeah. examples on different stuff so that you'd be like, okay, that I understand now. You know what might have been helpful, too, even if you're trying to save on that, is if the, you just have a... Oh, what a QR code on the on the thing that you could just scan and it leads you to a card an online card sure, index. I'd even. be fine with that if you're yeah, trying to save that money. Might be a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, but something like that. And don't I mean I I don't like the oh I'll just go to BGG. Okay, yeah, but I can do that with every board game. But that's not board game arenas. No, right. Excuse right. me, board game uh, geeks' responsibility to have that on there. Right. You know that should be the the designer or the publisher of that game. Right. So. I, I will say I do like the art style. I thought the the art was really uh, nice. I like the use of player colors and uh, kind of that are kind of different. And so I, I enjoyed that and your your little wooden long ships and stuff. I like the wooden long ships. I will I will agree with you. The art's a little you a like little the brown. Art? It's a little brown. Uh, Very I brown. Guess. On the I mean, map, maybe they did a nice map, job yeah. on the iconography on the map where you can tell the four different zones yep. very well. Yeah. yeah, it's very clear. Um, you know. Uh, but like, I remember one of the first times I played it, there was an argument over exactly how many, sp you know, cause the boat can go three, gone you know, like somebody was like, no, I think you have to go up the river. And then other people like, no, you just cross this. And it's once again, the rule book doesn't even really give you an example. It and, it does give you some, it does give you some, it's just not the easiest thing to figure out. It's yeah, not, it's the movement in the game with your ships is not as intuitive as it might. But, but like I said, but it's, it's Richie's point is very well though. If yep. this is a gateway packs game, You've got to have some more information in there to, to, to let people understand it a little bit better. But all right. All right. Moving on. So, so uh, what do we think about the gameplay of this game? It's definitely the lightest packs game I've ever played, for sure. Uh, definitely the easiest for me to have grasped 
in one, you know, in my first couple of plays where I definitely not, not saying strategy wise at all, but I'm just Mm -hmm. saying the way the game is played and what you're trying to do is the easiest of all the PAX games. Most PAX games, I play them two or three times. Um, even, you know, I guess PAX Premier, not terribly, but obviously that was kind of redone, but of all the original PAX ones, uh, those are, you know, I'm still not, I don't even know what I'm doing half, you know, 50% of the, where this one, you know, I was like, okay, after a couple plays, I was like, I get it. I understand it. I, I see what's going on now. That's not a knock on the game. I'm just saying it is definitely a gateway ish type of PAX game. If you want to call it that, um, I love the, Hey, you've got these different options of how to win. And you can choose any one of them on on how you want to win. Mm-hmm. That's one of the coolest things about kind of the PAX series, which is a normal thing throughout PAX games, is you have different, uh, some of the, you know, the other games you have to kind of have put those up as the winning condition, where this, they're already just there. Right. But I like the fact that you're gunning for different things and somebody else might be gunning for the same one as you, or they might be gunning for a different one. And you've got to pay attention not only what you're doing, but you got to pay attention to what everybody else is doing yeah. to try to stop them from doing what they're doing. Highly interactive, which is obviously something I love in a game. I, I really like that too. I like that you can have those randomized conditions. Like I said, there's sort of a novice conditions. There's a standard, there's a harder, and then there's a Eklundian, which is supposed to be sort of crazy, I guess. But they, they, they uh, feel... They feel a lot the same because of the way that this game is and the way it plays, but yeah. that they are interesting in in that you can do that. And again, that that is what is interesting about the PAX series is sure. different different ways to win through interaction. Yeah, I mean, it definitely feels like a PAX game. If you like the series, then you'll probably find something in here that you like. Uh, it's very, you know, that king of the hill where you see someone's about to win mm-hmm. and you're just pulling them down and trying to get yourself launched up there. Uh it's it's still not a gateway game. I, I don't know if this was advertised. Wasn't it advertised like as something you would play with children? Uh, I don't know about that. I <laughs> that, think I think that might have been the the Star Diamonds or whatever version of High Frontier. Okay. I, I think this was the gateway into, into Pax. Okay. I'm not. Right. I don't think it was ever meant to be a gateway game. But but that's a good question though. I mean, so we can talk about it right now. I mm-hmm. was thinking of bringing it up later, but Pax Premier Second Edition or this. As a as as introducing somebody to to a PAX game. I mean, for me, it would be PAX Premier Second Edition, just because I've I've played that you know I think at least thirty times now, so I know that game really well. It's I don't you know there's not a bunch of small text that you're trying to read, so for me, it would be I could teach that game much easier. A hundred percent agree, without question. If I was teaching somebody a PAX game for the first time, it would be PAX Premier Second Edition. Same thing Richie just said. I mean, it's I I know it. I understand it really well. But even even so, it's a lot easier to just let people know, hey, you're doing this and you're you know, if you're this faction, you want to try to get this many blocks out and try to win it this way. Or if you don't, you're trying to get these discs out. That is actually more simple to me to teach somebody Mm. than in PAX Viking going, well, okay, you're trying to move your ship around. You're trying to get these out. You're trying to do this. And then you're trying to pay attention to any one of these four. Um, Because I was about to say, you know, in most PAX games, you usually have one thing that is winning at the time. Like, you know, in, in Pephoriana, you know, there's just, whatever faction now it can be switched and you have to worry about that, but you can, you can kind of look and see where people are. And, um, you know, same thing with, with, uh, you know, PAX premier, you obviously can look and see where people are, 
boy, in, in Viking, I mean, there was a couple of times people would all of a sudden be just like, oh, I've won. I won you know, yeah. I was like, oh, <laughs> crap. I didn't even, I forgot all about the fact that that fourth card did that or something. Mm. So it wasn't quite as, uh, oh, I'm going to, everybody look, Richie is winning. Let's all stop him. Now, we could, and I'm sure as we got, as, as you got better at the game. Yeah, if you played it a lot, then you obviously would you, would, you would know. Yeah, exactly. So. so something I will say about the mechanisms with this game, too, versus uh, Premiere, I felt like the sort of negotiation and push and pull was baked into Premier a little bit more than it was in Viking. It just felt that way. I mean, parlay is an action, or excuse me, uh, in your movement, when you move through, you can always trade, but it's sort of an option, and you're not always doing it, and no. it depends on who you play with, with when you're doing it, and sometimes it's just doing it to do it, and I, I don't know, but whereas um, it feels much more crowded on the PAX Premier map, even with less players, and you are running into each other and you're doing and undoing each other's things so much where just, even though you're not necessarily trading in that, you're just kind of bumping up against each other. I feel like a lot more. And yeah, uh, yeah. I, I can only think of one time when I even traded with somebody and basically I just, I threatened the person to trade with me or otherwise I was going to destroy something. I think Did you, one and time, but all my plays were at three player. Did you play at a higher? Yeah, I played play, it at five. At five. Yeah, I played it at, I played it at three, four and five. So at so, five, was there more? I played it too. Interaction going on. I played it at two. Um, you played it. Too. I um, no, it was just uh, you still kind of. I mean, I suppose I said no, but people come and take uh, the what are those main areas where you have to pay? I forget what those are called. The trade, the, the trade, trade areas. Ones. Yeah. So then you get options. Uh, basically, you have yeah. to pay a lot of money to take those over, but then you're getting uh, some big benefits every round. Yeah. But it still didn't feel like it was more of, you know, like, a, like oh, Richie, hey, let's take this person out over here. Like mm -hmm. like you sometimes have to do in Premiere, like, hey, we've got to make sure that, you know, we got to get more blocks out. Something, I don't know. It just, it didn't have the same feel for me that the other gotcha. PAX games uh, do. I would say that this felt a little more... Uh, I don't, I, fragile is not the right word, but variable in how it plays out, yeah. uh, the experience of it around the table, because my best play of it, and I played it two, three, and four. And my best play of it is when the three of us played mm -hmm. and we were really going after each other and just making side deals and, and kind of, you know, uh, really, really moving in on each other's sure. territory yeah. aggressively and, yeah. and just pushing each other. It's tough. It's, I, I would say that it's probably group dependent because we were making a lot of deals and right. a lot of, if you don't attack this, you know, I'll go after Chad and do all this other stuff. So Yeah, which, I mean, for the type of games that we, you know, enjoy a lot, you know, like the, the Ages of Steam and the, the PAX games and, you know, like it's something like a container, you know, mm -hmm. those games are going to be group dependent. I mean, because yeah. they are highly interactive, you know. Um, uh, we played that game of Tammany Hall just a week ago. It was amazingly great just because it was so much fun mm -hmm. because of the interaction we were having, you know. So right. and that's and I don't know if that PAX the PAX game is always giving that to me at this moment. Well, for this for one, yeah. this one, this PAX Viking one, it can sometimes without that that you talked about, it can sometimes feel like area control with a Viking theme with some cards that you yeah. pick up with different abilities. And and so in that respect, you know, I, I uh, I, like I said, I think your experience is going to be much more variable than some of the other PAX games. So one of the, the, there's a couple of cards that you can get in the game, which are these God powers, or you have the advocates. I never found either one of them to be all that amazing to no. get. 
Like especially if I remember the, the, God the gods were very specific as yeah. far as when you could use them and what they were used for. Yeah. I, I, I have to disagree. There were times where my two advocates sometimes really worked together. Uh, what happened, I didn't win the game because I was getting so enamored with my advocates because <laughs> they were getting me like 10 silver around because it was basically, and then I could buy cards for like no, you know, not have to pay anything basically. But the problem was, like I said, I, I fell in love with what my you know, what I was doing with those and trying to get like money and none of it was towards the win condition. But that's still the advocates, not yeah. a God. You right. Know? Like, yes. Like yeah. you would think the, the God powers would be the specific. best. Yeah. And it was like yeah. nothing there. Now I did like so. the, the fact that, you know, you're, you're trying to get those, you know, certain followers out to get those certain bonus powers. I did like yeah. that little mechanism. That was did you think the bonus powers were all that special? No. Same like half the time I barely <laughs> used them well, as the bonus power. I don't know. It was some of them were great. Some of them were some of them were really good. Yeah, it was like they weren't balanced for it sure. Was, yeah, it was well, and I don't know that they need to be, no. but it, it was one of those things where one of those actions, and I can't remember which one. Maybe it was Jarl, but it was like move into a thing and take it over right away, which was yeah, like two or three actions one. at once. But there and, are a lot yeah, that really were nice. just kind of man. But like one was like draw one off the top of the deck randomly, and if it happened to be something, you know, then yeah, you yeah, that was the least interesting power, I think. But yeah. Now, variability, I mean, card-wise, as all oh, PAX yeah. games go, mm-hmm. I mean, there is a stack of cards in there that are out the wazoo. And this, you could make your own deck. Like, there was a starter deck that they encouraged you to use for your first few plays, and then you can just throw in this many of this kind of card and this many of this kind of card, and, you know, and that's how you could do it. Yeah. Which, uh, that part of the game I thought was really great. I mean, it, that uh, provides you with a lot of, uh, discovery, let's let's right. say, but again, Definitely. then you're having to read and and sure. you know, know that stuff. But that that part I liked. Now the win conditions, even since like there was the novice or the starter and the novice, and then the basic, and then the whatever it was, the Eklandian or whatever whatever that one was. You would think that meant that there was a lot of variability in the win conditions, mm. but there really wasn't. I looked at them and not only, I mean, there's only five in each category and each one of them are basically the same, just a little bit harder on how you had to do it. So it wasn't like, uh, oh, this game, I know I don't ever have to worry about, you know, getting this or whatever. Almost inevitably every game, you're going to have to worry about the main things that are out there. It's not going to change a lot from yeah, game to game. On it that. was usually some combination of followers, long ships, or control of a duchy out yep, somewhere exactly. in, in varying yep. harder amounts. Yep. So that, that I didn't think was great for variability. But. Yeah. So we already talked about player count. We talked about variability. I think, honestly, I think the only thing to do is time maybe give, give our rating. score, huh? Let's rate it's it. time to give All it a right. rating, huh, Richie? Let's do it. So on Punchboard Paradise, we rate on a six-point scale with a one being a game that makes you miserable and a six being a game that could be in your top ten of all time. Um, I think I'm going to start with me. I'm gonna, I, think, start. I think I'm going to be the lowest. Oh, okay. okay. Potentially. Okay. Here we okay. go. All right. Because uh, what I've learned by playing PAX Vikings, and I think I've played now five PAX games, uh, I love PAX Premier Second Edition, which I think even a lot, a lot of people who love PAX games may not even consider that part of like the the real PAX group. Right. Some people are very stingy and they're like, yeah. uh, I, don't, they I don't like PAX the changes. Premier yeah. edition, uh, first, first edition. Uh, I don't like PAX games all that much. At the, when I get to the end of them, I'm always like, oh, that's very interesting. And then I, I never need to see it again. And I just have not played one outside of PAX Premier Second Edition, which is streamlined and developed. I mean, they all give me that feeling that we get in PAX Premier Second Edition. And then I'm like, okay, then why am I not playing PAX Premier Second Edition? 
because all of them have just been very clunky, very hard to get into. And it just which ones have you played? Just so I I have a reference here. So Emancipation, which is not very much not like any of them. Oh my gosh, that's like one one of the harder ones. Yes, and that's it's terrible. You have to get the rule book off of BGG. Did you play that online? No, I had a copy of it. I just got rid of it. So my gosh, did you? you, (laughs) So did you only play that one solo out of curiosity? I played it solo once, a full game solo. I tried to play a game with Jessica. Did that was it? <laughs> there was, well, there was a mistake. No yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a mistake. <laughs> All right, um, so you played Emancipation, okay? So Emancipation, uh, we played Transhumanity. Now, okay. see, I thought it, one of the things about PAX games is they're thematic, and I thought you would enjoy that one because I think that game actually ended in you causing nuclear war, if I remember. Yeah, but it was just it and was it, so it seemed clunky very to get to that. Yeah, it was really hard okay, to get to okay. that. Okay, right. and stuff. All right. So okay, so Transhumanity. Okay. Um, then PAX Viking, PAX Premier Second Edition, and then I've played a half game of PAX Prefuriana, and I really need to play a full game of that. Okay. Yeah, I okay. think I think okay. you might like that more. But. Okay, because yeah, yeah. I would say my two f- next favorite would be Renaissance and Porphoriana. So, okay. Yeah, I haven't but, played Renaissance yet. Okay, all right, all right, continue. But Sorry. I heard that's a bear to get into, too. So, uh, oh boy, yeah, that yeah. would be an understatement. Um, I've played it like four times and understand like 10% of it, so. Clef's favorite part is putting on that big fluffy hat. <laughs> Don't tell anybody about that. Okay. Uh, and the price for entry is just been too high for what i've been getting back from most of the pax games for me so with pax viking i would say of the ones that i've played you know outside of pax premier second edition this is definitely the smoothest one just because it, i mean it is the gateway of you know pax but it's still kind of clunky and that's more i would probably say that's more just because of the production that text is way too small you get you're gonna have to get up and go over and look at all that stuff uh anyways i'm i'm coming in at it too wow it's not a game that I would ever ask to play, and if it's someone put it on the table, I would try to talk them into playing Pax Premier Second Edition or play something else. Hmm. Okay. So I'm starting at it too. What about? Would you rather play Feast for Odin over Pax Viking? Oh, definitely. He okay. likes. Feast I for like Odin. Feast for Odin. I'm just I'm just talking about ranking as Viking games. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> he'd probably rather play Vikings over. I'd play yeah. I'd Pax play Vikings, Vikings anytime over. Um, Pax Viking. Would you play Terraforming Mars over Pax Viking? You know what? I would give it a shot at two player. <laughs> two player, I feel like even goes longer in that game. But Chad, anyway, Chad C would love right. to play with you two player. All right, Clef, what do you got? Uh, okay, well, Richie has a, has a really good point that you know, Pax Premier is a different second edition is definitely a different world. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely been streamlined and made it in a different game. However. I am not quite in the same, like, I really like Pax Beforeana. So I, I've gotten to play that a few times now, and I like that game. I'm actually really itching to play that one again. Transhumanity, I only got the one play in, um, and I want to give it a try again. So I can't really say on that one. And then um, Renaissance, like I said, I think I like it. I just, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I, I need some more on it. Um but as, so as far as the PAX games go, Vikings is probably at my lowest point of all the PAX games. I, And that I think just because earlier what we kind of talked about where it's not that I have all the strategies figured out, but the game itself, I'm kind of like, okay, you know, this is what I'm going to do in the game. And then there, I, I don't feel like there's still more to kind of explore. The cards, even since there's, uh, you know, 200 whatever cards, 
they're all pretty similar in the who the you know uh, you might you might get a good advocate yeah. you know you might get this or that but for the most part they're they're not that much different in in that aspect. Um, however, I mean I still enjoyed the game. I still thought it was fun. Uh, I you know I still own it. It's definitely not something that's hitting the sell shelf. So I, I think I'm going to come in at a, at a solid. Oh, well, what do we always say? If you're if you're in between a, in two numbers, you got to go the lower one. I, I hate to do this. I'm going to give it a three, but it's a very high three. It's a very very high three. This is a good game if you're interested in learning this type of game, a PAX type of game. This is definitely worth giving a try. Make sure you sit a newbie over by the card row. But yes, I'm I'm going to give it a three, and I'm going to stop talking about it. Chad, what what do you give it? So I feel a lot of the same things that that you guys have said. I don't feel like Richie does because I do like the PAX games. I do like PAX uh, Transhumanity. I'm not going to say that uh, I, I love it or anything like that, but I, I, I do like some of the things that it does. I even think the solo game is interesting. I do uh, like Pax Porphyriana. I haven't played Pax Ren, but I, de- I own it and I definitely want to. Uh, so I do like the Pax games. What I will say is I feel like in making this easier for people to digest or in the way that they've tried to do it, it just kind of feels like I said, like an area control game to me and less paxy. And so I just, it doesn't have the zing or the spice to me that some of the PAX games have where I feel like, oh yeah, let's get into this and let's, you know, oh, I, you remember when you did this and then I felt like I was going to do that and I didn't even see that coming, but then you turned around and you betrayed this and, you know, that sort of thing. It just doesn't have that because it's much more straightforward and like we said even the even the trading and stuff you almost have to have just the right group to to bring that out and like clef said we can bring that out in in a game like tammany hall or something like that that's that's even simpler so uh from what richie said the overhead of the rules uh and trying to get that out of it um i i would i would much prefer to play pax Pamir because it's a different experience and it feels like a different experience than an area control game and it feels more like a PAX game to me and that's what I want people to get out of it even if they're trying a PAX game for the first time so all that is to say it's a really high three for me as well mm-hmm. um, I, I I have it in my collection but I, I just am trying to see you know when when do I want to pull this out versus PAX Premier second edition you know like when and now I will say I, I did play it with some friends that they watched the TV show Vikings and they love that TV show and a lot of the stuff in here is very historical and it references that you can find the characters and, and they were playing it going oh my gosh look at this and this this is just like so and so in this in the show and this is the you know so if i mean these games are meant to be highly thematic if for you you're into that time period that topic then this might be your way in but again uh hopefully it causes you to seek out some of those packs games that have a little bit more zip and zing in them so my rating is a three just like clef's it's a high three but it's a three and not as low as richie's which is a two Mm. all right Okay, well, now is the point in the episode where we usually talk about who won the draft. And it wasn't me, but, just, 
No, you know why it wasn't me? Because Richie. No, 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 no. Richie put a game that wasn't even a one first that off, I had picked. First oh, off, that's right. I went on vacation. Somebody else had to do the thing. First yeah. off, this is class fault. He went on vacation. <laughs> I and, got busy and I didn't do it right away. And then Richie's like, no, no, don't worry, Chad. I got it covered. And then he oh, yeah, put no, a game a on my list. It was that both of your fault. even on my list. You went on vacation. He didn't put it up when he was supposed to. And when I woke up, I, I threw it up. I quickly went through the episode. I heard him talk about Gandhi at one point, <laughs> but <laughs> you still didn't come in last, so I don't feel bad. <laughs> You're, that, that's what that's what's called karma, right there. Yeah. Your last place, and a lot when, of people noticed it. I put a note on there, so you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, too good. All right, well. We're going to put a pin in this. Uh-huh. So yes. note that Clef actually One, did win. Because next episode. We yes. have something that we're going to try to work in, hopefully. So we'll make it work out, and Clef will get his day in the sun yeah. next episode. Yeah. And uh, we're going to play a game tonight, and hopefully Richie won't cheat on that one. I'm, I'm just hoping. <laughs> oh, okay. Just like he did with the post. So, uh, all right. It was your weakest pick. <laughs> <laughs> no one's played the great Zimbabwe. Get out of here. Are you kidding me? Uh, it is a great game. But anyway, it is yeah. a great um, game, but no one's played it. Uh, hey, and if uh, anybody is wanting to play a game with us, I don't know why you would, but if you want to play a game with us, uh, we're going to be at a couple of events. Uh, one we've talked about numerous times. We're all, Well, hold on. Have we talked about the fact that Chad has finally told his wife, I'm going to Age of Steam. Oh, I didn't I even do hear that not yet. Care. You're going? Yeah, I'm he's right. going. He's bought the is ticket. It, is that he, his pillow so, and uh, sleeping bag? Yeah, he's, he's over here now. <laughs> no, Chad she was very coming. sweet. She oh, was said we can celebrate any day. So. That's right. Yes. There you go. Especially whatever. What was it? Some it's, arbitrary yeah, like 15, 16, 11 or twelve 15. or something. Yeah. Fifteen. That's, oh, it's fifteen. Oh. Yeah. That's a decent number. Oh, man. <laughs> oh now you're yeah, going to make, now now wow. gonna make me feel bad. Or go back on it. Well, anyway, so Punch Punch, if you were holding out because your favorite your favorite person wasn't there, please come now, and uh, I'll be there to play games with Yeah, the one who really loves Age of Steam. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, November 5th through the 7th in uh, Kansas City. And, uh, yeah, so obviously you can go to Age of Steam. I think it's just ageofsteam.com that has the information there. I don't know. It's something more than that. I think it's like Age of Steam Con or something. Age of Steam Con, yeah. Dot just com. Google Age of Steam Con. Age of Steam Con, you know, in, in <laughs> Kansas City. Good yeah, thing that so was prepared. So if you're interested in that, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we shoot from uh, the hip here. Yeah, well, you know, hey. Um, the other thing, and this is another, this is a little more uh, local here to Nebraska, we have a con that's here every year in Lincoln, Nebraska, called the Great Plains Game Festival. It's like I said, it's in Lincoln, Nebraska. It is August 13th through the 15th. So it's just a three-day con. And uh, the, the, the funny, th- for me at least, the trivia here with this is this was the last con that I think all three of us attended before the shutdown. Was that it? Was, yeah, it was what? at the end of February no. of 2020. Yeah, it was at the end very of, possible for me. It was at no, the end. It of wasn't February. for me because I wasn't there. Oh, you didn't. Ma- oh, no. you, you weren't able. <laughs> the to make last it. one I was at was uh, uh-huh. uh, whatever that podcast used to be. <laughs> oh, oh, actually, you know what? I BR think that, that, con yeah. across the board. Oh, yeah, con I didn't or go. I, I didn't know, go so. to the last Great Plains either. You didn't go either. So no. yeah. <laughs> living in his head. This was the last one that I went to <laughs> right before everything shut it down. So this will be. The next big one that I will go to. So there you go. I'm kind of there excited about it. So, uh, yeah. So August 13th through the 15th. Once again, I'm pretty sure you can just Google Great Plains Game Festival 
and they should have some information on there. Yeah, it's it's a great con. It's uh you know it's got a a few booths and stuff uh, that you got going on. I I'm thinking maybe our good 3D bit space, Mr. Ryan Brockman, probably be there with some uh, some of his stuff. And uh, but it's a great con just to play board games in. They got a nice library, uh, really good. They usually have some good snacks and food and stuff like that. So uh, uh, last time it was at the Lancaster. You guys probably the last time you were there it was at that downtown location. Yeah, it was in Lincoln, where well, the we alarm went off for like yeah. an hour and a yep. half. When we yep. sat there and played Carson City all night long, mm-hmm. I don't even know if you were there for that one. I've never been, so, so I'm gonna uh, go this year. In my dreams, Chad, you're always there. <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> right where I don't want to be. Well, punch, punch, y'all. Take care and be good to each other and good to yourself. All right, everybody, have a great day. Thanks for listening. Punchboard Paradise would like to thank our loyal listeners as well as the publishers and designers that have provided review copies. You can find us at punchboardparadise at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at Punchboarders. We are on Instagram at Punchboard Paradise and Facebook at Punchboard Paradise. In episode 80...